Chapter Forty Five of Lilith. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pete Williams. Lilith by George MacDonald. Chapter Forty Five The Journey Home. It had ceased to be dark. We walked in a dim twilight, breathing through the dimness the breath of the spring. A wondrous change had passed upon the world, or was it not rather that a change more marvelous had taken place in us? Without light enough in the sky or the air to reveal anything, every heather bush, every small shrub, every blade of grass was perfectly visible, either by light that went out from it, as fire from the bush Moses saw in the desert, or by light that went out of our eyes. Nothing cast a shadow. All things interchanged a little light. Every growing thing showed me, by its shape and color, its indwelling idea, the informing thought, that is, which was its being, and sent it out. My bare feet seemed to love every plant they trod upon. The world and my being, its life and mine, were one. The microcosm and macrocosm were at length atoned, at length in harmony. I lived in everything, everything entered and lived in me. To be aware of a thing was to know its life at once and mine, to know whence we came and where we were at home, was to know that we are all what we are because another is what he is. Sense after sense, hitherto asleep, awoke in me, sense after sense indescribable because no correspondent words, no likenesses or imaginations exist wherewithal to describe them. Full indeed, yet ever expanding, ever making room to receive, was the conscious being where things kept entering by so many open doors. When a little breeze brushing a bush of heather set its purple bells a-ringing, I was myself in the joy of the bells, myself in the joy of the breeze to which responded their sweet tin-tinning, myself in the joy of the sense and of the soul that received all the joys together. To everything glad I lent the hall of my being wherein to revel. I was a peaceful ocean upon which the ground swell of a living joy was continually lifting new waves, yet was the joy ever the same joy, the eternal joy, with tens of thousands of changing forms. Life was a cosmic holiday. Now I knew that life and truth were one, that life mere and pure is in itself bliss, that where being is not bliss it is not life, but life in death. Every inspiration of the dark wind that blew where it listed went out a sigh of thanksgiving. At last I was, I lived, and nothing could touch my life. My darling walked beside me, and we were on our way home to the father. So much was ours ere ever the first sun rose upon our freedom. What must not the eternal day bring with it? We came to the fearful hollow where once had wallowed the monsters of the earth. It was indeed, as I had beheld in my dream, a lovely lake. I gazed into its pellucid depths. A whirlpool had swept out the soil in which the abortions burrowed, and at the bottom lay visible the whole horrid brood. A dim greenish light pervaded the crystalline water and revealed every hideous form beneath it. Coiled in spires, folded in layers, knotted on themselves, or extended long and large, they weltered in motionless heaps, shapes more fantastic in ghoulish, blasting dismay than ever wine-sodden brain of exhausted poet fevered into misbeing. 
He who dived in the swirling maelstrom saw none to compare with them in horror. Tentacular convolutions, tumid bulges, glaring orbs of sepian deformity, would have looked to him innocence beside such incarnations of hatefulness, every head the wicked flower that, bursting from an abominable stock, perfected its evil significance. Not one of them moved as we passed, but they were not dead. So long as exist men and women of unwholesome mind, that lake will still be peopled with loathsomeness. But hark the herald of the sun, the auroral wind softly trumpeting his approach. The master minister of the human tabernacle is at hand. Heaping before his prow a huge ripple-fretted wave of crimson and gold, he rushes aloft, as if new-launched from the urging hand of his maker into the upper sea, pauses and looks down on the world. White raving storm of molten metals, he is but a coal from the altar of the father's never-ending sacrifice to his children. See every little flower straighten its stalk, lift up its neck, and with outstretched head stand expectant. Something more than the sun, something greater than the light, is coming, is coming, none the less surely coming that it is long upon the road. What matters today or tomorrow or ten thousand years to life himself, to love himself? He is coming, is coming, and the necks of all humanity are stretched out to see him come. Every morning will they thus outstretch themselves, every evening will they droop and wait until he comes. Is this but an air-drawn vision? When he comes, will he indeed find them watching thus? It was a glorious resurrection morning. The night had been spent in preparing it. The children went gambling before, and the beasts came after us. Fluttering butterflies, darting dragonflies, hovered or shot hither and thither about our heads. A cloud of colors and flashes, now descending upon us like a snowstorm of rainbow flakes, now rising into the humid air like a rolling vapor of embodied odors. It was a summer day more like itself, that is, more ideal, than ever man that had not died found summer day in any world. I walked on the new earth, under the new heaven, and found them the same as the old, save that now they opened their minds to me, and I saw into them. Now the soul of everything I met came out to greet me, and make friends with me, telling me we came from the same, and meant the same. I was going to him, they said, with whom they always were, and whom they always meant. They were, they said, lightnings that took shape as they flashed from him to his. The dark rocks drank like sponges the rays that showered upon them. The great world soaked up the light and sent out the living. Two joy-fires were Lona and I, Earth breathed heavenward her sweet-savored smoke. We breathed homeward our longing desires. For thanksgiving, our very consciousness was that. We came to the channels, once so dry and weariful. They ran and flashed and foamed with living water that shouted in its gladness. Far as the eye could see, all was a rushing, roaring, dashing river of water made vocal by its rocks. We did not cross it, but walked in glory and in joy upon its right bank until we reached the great cataract at the foot of the sandy desert, where, roaring and swirling and dropping sheer, the river divided into its two branches. There we climbed the height and found no desert. 
Through grassy plains, between grassy banks, flowed the deep, wide, silent river, full to the brim. Then first to the little ones was revealed the glory of God in the limpid flow of water. Instinctively they plunged and swam, and the beasts followed them. The desert rejoiced and blossomed as the rose. Wide forests had sprung up, their whole undergrowth flowering shrubs peopled with songbirds. Every thicket gave birth to a rivulet, and every rivulet to its water-song. The place of the buried hand gave no sign. Beyond and still beyond, the river came in full volume from afar. Up and up we went, now along grassy margin, and now through forest of gracious trees. The grass grew sweeter, and its flowers more lovely and various as we went. The trees grew larger, and the wind fuller of messages. We came at length to a forest whose trees were greater, grander, and more beautiful than any we had yet seen. Their live pillars upheaved a thick embowed roof, betwixt whose leaves and blossoms hardly a sunbeam filtered. Into the rafters of this aerial vault the children climbed, and through them went scrambling and leaping in a land of bloom, shouting to the unseen elephants below, and hearing them trumpet their replies. The conversations between them Lona understood, while I but guessed at them blunderingly. The little ones chased the squirrels, and the squirrels, frolicking, drew them on, always at length allowing themselves to be caught and petted. Often would some bird, lovely in plumage and form, light upon one of them, sing a song of what was coming, and fly away. Not one monkey of any sort could they see. End of chapter 45 Recording by Pete Williams, Pittsburgh, PA